Boy, what a day it was still moving forward on this tumultuous time that we're experiencing and seeing whether or not there are going to be 47 wards or return to 25 wards. It is schizophrenia when it comes to politics in the city of Toronto. And today there were the arguments to decide whether or not they were going to move forward. The province has asked for a stay and we're going to find out tomorrow morning whether or not we get that stay. Jennifer Pagliaro is joining us, City Hall reporter for the Toronto Star. Jennifer, welcome. How are you? Hey, I'm great. Thanks for having me. All right. So this is kind of an interesting situation, isn't it? If this day goes through, the then the premier in the province will not have to use that notwithstanding clause. That's right. That was uh, sort of a surprise in court today. The province's lawyer made an opening statement. And in that statement, they said exactly that, that if they get their way in court, they're not going to bring Bill 31, this new piece of legislation that includes this unprecedented notwithstanding clause, forward for a vote at Queen's Park. And so we're, it's sort of this either or, and some described that, the city's lawyer and others, as uh, basically amounting to a threat and said that they took issue with that position the province suddenly uh, brought forward in the hearing today. All right. So let's just talk about the reality of this. If the, if the province doesn't get this day, then they're going to use the notwithstanding clause. That's right. So we'll find out tomorrow morning if the province loses and we continue on with 47 ward elections. That might only be for a short time because mm-hmm. we know that the bill is, is, is expected to pass uh, in, on Thursday. And so that essentially takes us back to 25 wards. Again, we know that the city is going to then challenge Bill 31 if it becomes law in court. And the whole thing kind of starts over again. It's, it's, it's a bit crazy. It is. And also time, it is a ticking. And already we're hearing, aren't we, from the city clerk that it's going to be hard to do this. That's right. The, the city clerk wants more than anything to have certainty about this election. Mm-hmm. Which election should she hold? She has to print <laughs> 2.6 million ballots. She has to test those machines that you put your ballot into that tabulate all of the results. And she's worried that she won't have enough time to prepare an election that could take place without you know, irregularities. That's sort of a weird word, but it, it's, it's really important. It's her job to administer an election that uh, is fair, that is legal, and that is free of any potential hiccups that could actually result in legal challenges. And there we are. Irregularities. I never thought we'd hear it so much from the United States. And now here at, in Toronto, our civic election, we're hearing it. It isn't the Russians, but it is all the things that have to be organized last minute. What do you say, Jennifer? Is there a chance the city and the legal team, they're not giving up? Is this theater? Are we getting a sense that people want to be able to say, I did this at this time? Or do they have a legal a shot at this? Both sides honestly seem really locked in, and it's a weird situation mm-hmm. where you don't have just, you know, the province arguing that they are, uh, you know, representing the public interest. You have another political body. It's the it's the city of Toronto, and they say, no, actually, we are representing the public interest, proceeding with the election that council approved, uh, that had already faced uh, a lot of other scrutiny, and that would allow, you know, the campaign that was already underway starting May 1st to proceed as it was. And so you really have that sort of battle of these two governments um, and neither seem prepared to back away from a court challenge. 
All right. Now, it, it, who are some of these legal teams representing? S- some candidates have legal representation, don't they? That's right. So there's legal teams for both the city and the province, and then there are others uh, involved. So there are uh, a, a single candidate, uh, Rocco Achampong, who uh, has a team. He's also a lawyer. He's a candidate running um, in the election, uh, is now uncertain as to whether he'll be running or where he'll be running. <laughs> and then there are two other legal teams involved who are representing groups of candidates, volunteers, and community groups that would be uh, affected by this legislation that the province uh, introduced. Now, from the province's point of view, you know, I'm reading in your piece that the province has argued that the justice who um, caused this, in their opinion, in the first place, when they said they he couldn't make that move, that, that if they listened to what the justice Justice Bella Baba wanted to do, it would cause, and in quotation marks, irreparable harm. This is a twisty, turvy kind of an argument, isn't it? Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, the province is making arguments about, you know, the chaos that's been caused and like you said about the irreparable harm, you know, but the city and others raised the point today, like we wouldn't be here in this courtroom if not for what the province did, introducing legislation in the middle of an election. And so they really put that back on the province saying, you know, what irreparable harm is there to, you know, the province and the province's interests? The the real harm, they say, comes by disrupting this election mid-process. And that was caused by the province and the legislation that was introduced by Ford's government. Where are you seeing here? Because as we say, I mean, there's politics involved in this and the way it is argued, there is politics and certainly for the mayor. You know, he he reminds me of, um, what do you call it, a, a wishbone and he's being pulled in two directions. Which way do you think he wants to crack here? Yeah, there's been a lot of criticism about how he has responded to this. You know, he came out in the first place when the legislation was uh, initially announced, saying, you know, that he was upset with the process, but he didn't come out very strongly against uh, Ford himself or his, or you know, his government and calling for a referendum. And that was, uh, you know, criticized as a, as a meek response by uh, his council colleagues and others. And, you know, then I think that he started using some stronger language um, to oppose Mm -hmm. what Ford was doing. But uh, recently, he again was doing media interviews, and my colleague David Ryder wrote about this, that uh, he's saying, well, we just need to kind of move on with this and have, you know, Bill 31 pass in the legislature, so there's certainty. He said he definitely wanted the election to go forward on October 22nd, despite the concerns from the clerk. And that didn't uh, jive with, you know, what even counsel had just decided, which was to sort of fight Bill 31 uh, to the ends of the earth as far up as the Supreme Court. And so there, there is uh, ongoing concern about his response to this. We know that uh, mayoral candidate Jennifer Keysmat uh, got into the race at the last minute, uh, you know, sort of mm-hmm. pushed by his response to this and, and what Ford's government was doing. And it's almost the big issue, isn't it, for the election campaign? Are we talking about all the other things that need to be discussed and put on the table for this election campaign? Really, it's about whose side are you on and how you're fighting this? Yeah, that's such an important question. I mean, the candidates and um, those other groups that uh, we were just talking about that are being represented in this court case, you know, all of those issues about, you know, what happens to their campaigns and can they effectively mount a campaign even and, you know, 
as you just said, beyond that, you know, what issues do they support, either the counselor candidates or mayoral candidates or school board trustees? And, you know, how do we as journalists try to, you know, do those stories when we don't even know who exactly is running and what the ward makeup is to try to help inform people, you know, who is supporting the issues that you care about and, and who should you cast your ballot for? It's it's really frustrating for us in that sense because we aren't really covering the campaign, even though the campaign continues. Has it really divided the city here? So it's going to be who was for it and who was against it? Yeah, you know, we saw a poll came out today from Main Street that people are really mm-hmm. opposed to uh, the Ford government's use of the notwithstanding clause. What was that, that, 65%? That's right, of Torontonians. And, you know, obviously this uh, this legislation affects uh, Toronto residents. I'm, I'm not uh, totally sure what the broader opinion in Ontario is, um, but there's a feeling that regardless of whether you think there should be a smaller city council or whether you agree that it should be 47 wards, that people are not happy about the process. That's, you know, what this poll suggests. Anecdotally, that's what we're hearing. It's hard to get a definitive answer about that. But it seems like, you know, this has caused, you know, for better or for worse, whatever whatever side you're on, chaos. I think that's just a fact. And also it's have finally an effect outside of greater Toronto. You can't tell me, you know, everyone's watching this in Hamilton. They're watching it in London. They're watching it in Ottawa, all over the province here, because Premier has made some indication uh, he's looking for other towns and he's coming to get you. That's right. I mean, you know, it was raised in the legislature the other day that, you know, you know, Ford is not just the premier of, you know, Toronto residents. He's obviously the premier of all Ontario residents. And, you know, I do wonder what the rest of Ontario is making of all of the fuss being made over Toronto. It's just one city. It's obviously the largest city. Yeah, and they don't like Toronto and other cities. That's true. You know, there's this funny thing that happened this week where um, uh, the MPPs and the the party leaders go to this thing called the International Plowing Fest. And maybe Torontonians don't know much about that, but it's a really big deal in rural Ontario. And the leaders always go, and there's just great pictures of them um, participating. And it was going to be in the middle of this debate that they're having about the Toronto election, but it, it they was had to can it. they went. Yeah, they had to can it because that's an example of rural Ontario and how important it is. Jennifer Pagliara, it was great to have you to explain it all. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Jennifer is City Hall reporter for the Toronto Star. I'm Arlene Bunnan in this evening for Alex Pearson. This is Global News Radio. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.